if you got to see the wind a few days ago, uh, if you need a, a real-life picture of what the 30s were like, just get a good windy day out here, and um, I can take you to where I took this picture, and you'll definitely see it at this field. Steve, don't tell Dustin I'm using his, the edge of his field, okay? But uh, it's, it's such a great picture, and it's, it's one of those kind of odd things for me as a history teacher is, you know, this same picture minus the, the style of pavement probably could have been taken in the 20s in this part of Oklahoma. And, and that's, and people are like, well, we're in the 20s. Yeah, well, 100 years ago. Let that settle in your brains. You know, many people in the room knew people that lived through those years. And that, I'm not doing that to make you feel old. Okay, I'm just chasing a rabbit here for just a second about how quickly time goes and how quickly each generation will face its own major events. You know, the, the generations that, that saw the Dust Bowl are chasing a generation who saw the Spanish flu. Okay, we're, we're kind of getting the opposite scale of that. We had our global pandemic, and then, you know, we're racing back into the drought and possibly Dust Bowl and hard economic times kind of wild how it's just cycling back through okay that's just me as a history teacher making observations uh, those are for free you don't have to hang on to that too much but part four of our series on being resilient is knowing and experiencing the benevolent nature of God and, and for those of you that may struggle with the, the word benevolent, I'll, I'll give you a definition here in a little bit. But we're going to jump right back in where we left last week. And I, I'm shocked because none of this stuff from Genesis was my plan. You know how we have those plans that we talked about in children's time. It was not my plan to hang out in Genesis. Not at all. Okay, and, and I'm, I'm telling you, last week, if, if I'd have taught Genesis like I learned it, we'd have had kids giggling the whole time because naked would have come up way too much. But the, the first thing I want us to see, and, and hopefully I've, I've made it clear that the, the first parts of Genesis, we got to quit reading it as a science textbook and read it for what it was, which was a, a poem that was used to describe not only how God created the earth, but how God longingly wanted to interact with mankind and he made us as his masterpiece and we were his prized part of creation and we messed it up okay we're going to jump right back in after we messed it up and we're going to show you one of the first benevolent acts of God that speak to his nature when the eyes of both were open and they knew that they were naked, they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. 
man ate the fruit and started to accept the identity that sin brings into your life. For the first time in their existence, they felt naked and ashamed. And what did they do? They tried to cover it up with something they could do on their own. The, the thing that, the lesson within the lesson is, is there's nothing we can do on our own that's going to change the identity that sin speaks to us. There's nothing we can do. You, you can't go out there and do enough good works to change the fact that when you lay your head on your pillow at night, if you haven't asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins, you're still a sinner. You're still dead in your trespasses according to Scripture. You can't do good enough things to overcome sin. You can't do good enough things to change that identity. And, and we have a world that will tell you you can go and you can be anything you want to be. And that's absolutely true. You can be anything you want to be. You can try and identify yourself however you want to. But the bottom line at the end of the day is you are who God says you are. And He's going to say one of two things when He wraps this whole thing up. He's going to say, enter into my joy because I knew you. Or He's going to say, depart from me. I don't know you. And the difference between the two is what you did with Jesus Christ. When you accept Jesus Christ as the Son of God who died on the cross for your sins and rose on the third day, when you accept His forgiveness and you allow yourself to what Scripture calls to be born again, that born again is you're given a new identity where you step into the ownership of the identity God had for you from the beginning. He called you sons and daughters and He adopted you through the blood of Jesus Christ. He took, He'll take all that mess of an identity you built for yourself and He'll wash it off and make you clean with the identity that He has buried within you that can only be uncovered by the blood of Jesus. And we see this in Genesis chapter 3. The last thing that God does for Adam and Eve before He kicks them out of the garden. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. God had already dealt with what they had done. God sat down and He said, you've made this horrible mistake. This is the consequences for your mistake. And in an act of benevolent love, God looked at the clothing they had made for themselves and He said, it's not, it's not good enough. I can't let you walk away like that. I want you to understand we have a generation of people who have walked away from the church and tried to clothe themselves in the things of this world, the ideologies of this world. And there's still a benevolent God who's willing to welcome them back and to clothe them again. Now, the... The term benevolent is having a disposition to do good. This is where people struggle with God because all they see in Genesis is God laying out punishment. 
How many times growing up hearing the story, you know, the lullaby effect will kick in if we're not careful. How many times hearing the story did we just skip over the part that God made them close before He sent them out of the garden? God's benevolent. He never wanted them to just be gone. And then I kept reading in Genesis. I'm not going to take you there. But God keeps interacting with them. God literally talks to Adam and Eve's children. He talks to Cain. He talks to Abel. He didn't just cut them off. Blew my mind. Absolutely blew my mind. But having a disposition to do good, possessing love to mankind, and a desire to promote their prosperity and happiness. And the last word it throws in there is one of the, one of the ways that we identify God through Corinthians when we talk about love because God is love. Love is kind. God is kind. Can you imagine how many times Adam and Eve would have had to remake their clothing out of leaves? And they're getting kicked out of the garden to go till the ground where there's not as good a leaves as they had in Eden. But you know what's outside the garden? Animals. Beautiful, tasty, delicious animals that have skin that you could wear. And I don't think God just snapped His fingers and made it. According to the, the Hebrew there, God took His hands and He made it, like crafted it right there in front of them. He showed them how to make that clothing. And, and we lose sight of that nature of God sometimes because we're, we're so ingrained in the thought process of this world that, that when I mess up, God's going to be angry with me and He's going to punish me. And that becomes the mindset that we have towards God, that, that God's always angry with me and God's always looking for a moment to, aha, I got you. I've been there. And, and I found this pattern that God begins and ends the Pentateuch or the Torah for our Hebrew friends the first five books of the Bible that Moses writes, the beginning, the end of chapter three, because we put it in chapters, but the end of the poem, God clothes Adam and Eve in act of benevolence. And the end of the first five books of the Bible, God buries Moses himself. God, who called Moses a friend, takes care of all of the funeral arrangements for Moses. He takes Moses and he buries him in a place that only he knows so that he can visit the grave of Moses if he wants to. Because he didn't want the children of Israel. This is one of the most benevolent acts of God because they'd already proven they could be delivered out of Egypt and they would make for themselves a golden calf. And guess what? If they started to get it a little bit more right, they're going to fall into the guilty trap of worshiping the leader instead of worshiping Yahweh. And God delivered them from that in one of the greatest acts of benevolence before they go into the promised land. God buries Moses. 
God loves people and He does everything He can to help us overcome our earthly nature. But we don't step into that role of helping Him sometimes because we think that He's looking for ways to get us. We don't accept His benevolent nature. And Jesus became the living embodiment of God's love for us. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Can you think of a more benevolent act than giving up your child? And not just giving up your child, but sending your child to speak the truth to a world that had completely lost their mind about who God was. The, the religious people of the day were teaching. They were teaching what Adam and Eve tried to do in the garden, that you could take and clothe yourself the right way by doing these things. They were teaching, if you did all of these things, that God would love you. I'm going to break it, put the cookies on the bottom shelf. You can't be good enough for God to love you more, and you can't be bad enough for God to love you less. You can have the worst version of an identity for yourself that is out there, and God still loves you. You can say the most hateful things. You could curse God to His face and He would still love you. There's people like, whoa, whoa. You cannot change who God is. But God can drastically change who you are. God didn't send Jesus to the world to condemn you. You know, he didn't have to. I can condemn myself pretty good. Anybody else right there? I mean, some mornings, it's just a look in the mirror. Other mornings, regretfully, it's to step on a scale. Some mornings, it's get to work and everything I needed for the day is in my briefcase sitting on the table at home. I mean, it, it doesn't take much. Stub my toe on the end of the bed. I mean, it doesn't take much for me to condemn myself. Or just getting out of bed sometimes, that noise that the tent makes that Scott was talking about. It's, it's overwhelmingly condemning some days. God sent Jesus that He could save us. We live in a world that's so geared toward do all you can, get all you can, can all you get, and sit on your can. Okay, it's you don't finish working until you're absolutely exhausted and just can't do it again. And when you get to that point, the world's going to tell you how weak and lazy you are. I grew up in a home much like many homes that people are growing up in here that there was a, a high premium put on hard work. And I'm not condemning hard work. But God doesn't care how hard you can work. He doesn't. 
He doesn't care how hard you can work. He doesn't care that you can put in 80-hour weeks. Just like I told you, you know, when you go to take a Sabbath, if the cows need fed, go feed the cows. God's not going to get tied up in the legal issues. But God doesn't love you any more because of how many hours you work or any less because of the hours you don't. Now, don't take that as, well, I don't have to work anymore. Uh, you don't work, you don't eat. Okay, that, that's kind of pretty simple. Some, somewhere along the way, we lost that biblical principle. But it was true. Jesus said not to worry about what you were going to eat. So maybe, maybe it's time to just start buying ramen noodles because it fits the budget, you know. But, but the world puts this, this glorification on people who work themselves to where they grind and grind and grind until there's nothing left. And they say how heroic and how great it is when God never intended us to be that way. God understands that in the course of life, the normal course of life, you're going to get weary. You're going to be tired. This is a perfect message for me to preach to myself today. Because hosting a tournament, even when you don't have the big jobs, is exhausting. And Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, spoke to Jeremiah. And he said, For I will satisfy the weary soul, and every languishing soul I will replenish. The, the whole nuts and bolts of this series has been about allowing God to build that resiliency into us. And, and to be resilient, if I put the simplest definition there is, being resilient is the ability to bounce back. And if you want to get that picture in your mind, to bounce back, it means you had to collide into something. And who we are as Christians should collide with the philosophies and the ideologies of this world every day. Because this world and the spirit of this world is in direct opposition to who God has called us to be. And just that collision will make you weary. But Jesus said in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me all, all who are weary and burdened. If, if we wanted to play the raise your hand game to make sure everybody's still awake at this point in the sermon, we, I could ask, how many of you are weary? I've already, I've already admitted it. I'm weary this morning. How many of you are burdened? And every hand goes up because we're living in difficult times. The economy's hard right now. Things aren't as good as they used to be. 
man, if we could just get back to how life was before. Oh, that's crazy too. It was a rat race then too. We just didn't have this extra illness to deal with. And the miracle was all those other illnesses came back. The flu came back. Pneumonia came back. I mean, all the flus came back except the Spanish one. <laughs> Gracias, you know. <laughs> but we're all burdened. We all struggle with things. And, and it's so crazy to me because... We're, we're finally getting to the point as the church where we're willing to take ownership of that. Where we're willing to share with each other so that we can fulfill the gospel. Galatians 6.2 Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Guess what? We all started to admit, hey, I've got burdens. Guess what? We can all bear each other's burdens. And where are we going to bear them? Right to Jesus who said, all of you, come on. Bring your burdens. Bring your mess. Bring all the junk in your life. I can handle it. And what I'm going to give you is, is I'm going to put my yoke on you, which means we're going to be linked together and we're going to go step for step, which takes us back to last week. What did God want from Adam and Eve. He wanted them to be right there with him, walking step in step. When he asked, where are you? That was, why aren't you right here with me walking? Why aren't you taking my yoke, Jesus could ask today, and walking with me? You'll still have a burden. It just won't be as heavy as what you're carrying now. Peter would write, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time. And, and the NLT is behind me and it says that He may lift you up in due time. And, and the reason I picked the NLT is because it phrases it this way in the next verse. Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. The King James reads, Casting all your cares on Him for He cares for you. But anxiety is a word that our generation understands because we've been told about having anxiety over and over. We have, I'm, I'm not even going to guess how many medications we have that people can be on for anxiety. And I'm not preaching to get people off medication because God works some wonderful things through there. But we as a church have to understand that medication won't solve your anxiety. It'll help you bear the stress of it, but it won't actually solve it. And as Christians, we have an advantage the world doesn't have because we have a place to go with our anxiety, to cast or to give away or to throw upon someone else. And Jesus is asking for that. He said, cast it on me. And the, the phrase that we can't get away from this morning, because He cares for you. He cares. All of it. But, but Pastor, what, what does that look like? What, what, what do you mean? What does it look like to cast all your cares on Him? 
And, and I'm, I'm going to invite you into part of my prayer life this morning. And, and I want you to understand that I, I, I am who God made me to be, so I understand things in, in terms that when, when I take time to pray that there is a journey that I'm going on in that prayer, and it has geography. Okay, and, and it starts in the very shallow water, if you will. And the shallow water of life is all those things that just keep running through my head at the beginning of prayer. The, the best description of it would be a, I guess they're a flock, I don't know, butterflies, a bunch of them. Where, oh, they're pretty to look at and they're distracting. And, and some of you will relate to this. When you go to pray, you have all these distracting little thoughts. And I mean, nothing is out of bounds here. I, I can be starting to pray and I'll think about, you know, what we're going to have for supper or, or, you know, who was messing something up in practice, you know, what bill isn't paid yet, what, what tool got left out in the rain this time, you know, man, I miss my Discman from high school because I had some great jams on it. Oh, yeah, Garth Brooks song, you know. It just keeps going, you know, and that's all that shallow stuff that will try and distract me at the top. Does Jesus care about all that stuff? Yes. And then we get a little deeper to, you know, the monthly budget. Are we going to have enough money to get through the month? Are we going to, you know, are the kids going to have enough money for college? The mom and dad's health, you know, they're, they're getting older. Things are happening. They'll you know, they're getting old. You know, all these deeper issues, just a little bit below that. And then finally, if I work my way past all that, it's just this really quiet place where it's just me and God. The rest of the world just drifts away. That, that old chorus we used to sing, the things of earth grow strangely dim. When, I don't get to that place all the time, I'll just tell you. When I get there, it's really good. Where God just speaks to my heart in ways that I can't adequately describe. But the, the path to get there, God cared about all that stuff. And, and, and something I've learned is what we will call the art of benevolent detachment. Which is just giving everyone and everything to Jesus. Giving everyone and everything to Jesus. Everyone, not just the people that get your goat, you know, the people that drive you nuts, you, not just them. Give everyone to them. My kids, my wife, my church, the, the people I love the most. I still got to give them over to Jesus and trust that He has a good and a perfect plan for their life. And I don't have to carry the weight. Yes, I can still carry the burdens, but I don't have to carry the weight of the burden. I start my prayer every time. Jesus, I give everyone and everything to You. In the morning, it's, and I'll repeat that, and whatever comes to mind, 
even if it's a weird Garth Brooks song, God, I give you the Garth Brooks song. And whatever memories are attached to it, just I give it to you. The, the day that's coming ahead, because I always start running through my daily schedule when I roll out of bed. And it tries to distract me from that moment with my, with my, my king. God, I, I give you. And I start listing off the events of the day. And, and sometimes prayer doesn't get past me giving the day to God. But if I've already given the day to God, how much power does the day hold over me as I walk into it? Suddenly, even though it's like I hit the wall in prayer, I've bounced back resilient to go face the day. Doesn't mean I'm not going to hit a wall again during the day. But guess what? At night, we get to unpack the day again. And it begins very simply, Jesus, I give everyone and everything to you. And there's times that I'll lay there quietly in the night just weeping tears because it's the, the only illustration I could see of it is, is sitting under a tree beside the creek there with, with a big bag of rocks that I've carried around all day. Now, why I'd carry around a bunch of rocks, I don't know. But we sit there, and I pull each rock out one by one, and I look at it. And, and some of them are pretty in this visualization. Some of them are really pretty. And Jesus asked me to hand him that rock. Hand him that rock. And I do. I don't know what he does with them. I don't care. He asked for it, I give it to him. And then when it's time to get up and to leave that quiet, tranquil place, and, and I go to my creek in my mind more than I go in my body. But when it's time to leave, I pick up a, a bag that doesn't weigh anything. And I go out to, at this point, fall asleep. And I sleep good. My mind doesn't just keep running, doesn't keep chasing all the butterflies. I go to sleep. I start my day at night. The next day, probably, you know, if I didn't start the day with benevolent detachment, I'd be putting rocks in the bag before the day starts. There's plenty of rocks thrown in the bag. That's not my nice way of saying I deal with blockheads at school, but I do. But this morning, as we are just about to close the service, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want you to just take a moment. You don't have to say it out loud, but in your heart, just take a moment with benevolent detachment. Trusting God really genuinely cares about whatever comes across your mind in the next few seconds. And just say that to Him. Jesus, I give everyone and everything to You.